We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll be reading uh, 321 verse 21 through chapter 4 verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 21. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as of those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? May God add his blessing to the reading of his word and as Greg brings his truth to us today. So we're in a sermon series unpacking what is the Christian mindset. And no, I want to be in the middle. And we're looking, we're going through 1 Corinthians and we're looking at how Paul addressed a number of controversies in the church. And we said he doesn't just give advice saying, oh, do this, don't do that. But he unpacks the very heart of what Christians believe and says, because of what we believe, this is what you should do. And today's passage is about pride and boasting, identity and self-worth. And, you know, there's hardly a bigger issue in society today. Um, You know, we all want to know, who am I and how do I know? And behind those questions are always, am I significant? And so that's the issue. That's the issue we wrestle with. And that's the issue for today's passage. And the context for the passage is that divisions have formed and people are now uh, boasting in their position because of the leader that they follow. So we talked about these divisions two weeks ago, but now Paul is addressing the pride that's emerging. Right. So people are saying, I follow Paul. You know, Paul discipled me personally. And so I'm better than you. That's what's going on. And so, of course, Paul says, well, stop that. No more boasting. Right. Because it's creating conflict and it's all bad. But he doesn't only say that. Right. We didn't just read verse 21. He says more than that, because you can't stop pride just by saying, don't be proud. Right? If, if you think you can, you've misunderstood pride. Paul sees the depth of the problem and he addresses it head on with the very heart of the gospel. So he doesn't just say no boasting. He says pride and boasting, all self-regard, are inconsistent with the good news of Jesus. They're inconsistent 
with the good news of the resurrection. So before we jump in, let me pray. God, we pray that you would open your word for us and uh, open our hearts to receive um, what you have to say to us about who we are in Christ. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so as we look at this passage, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the problem, two solutions that don't work, and then the one solution that does. So problem, two solutions that don't work, and then the one solution that does. Okay, so first the problem. Well, their deep problem, Paul says in verse 6, is that they are puffed up. And he's pointing to an existential, profound problem of pride. So the, the, the Greek word that Paul uses in verse 6, it's not the typical Greek word for pride, which we, we sometimes use still, which is hubris. He doesn't say you're, you're full of hubris or your problem is hubris. But he said, instead he uses a word that means inflated, blown up, blown out, and swollen. He's saying their boasting is an indication of the puffed up, swollen, distended condition of their heart. Boasting is a mere symptom of the deep problem. And this is the problem. The natural state of the human heart is painfully, woefully, dangerously puffed up and ready at any moment to burst. The superficial problem is boasting in leaders. All right, so Paul says, you're boasting in leaders because you don't understand who we are and you don't understand who you are. So first he says, look, we leaders were just servants. We're just stewards of the mysteries God has revealed in Christ. There's nothing to boast about. Okay? We're just servants. But he doesn't stop there. Then Paul does, I mean, I think it's sort of odd. He then moves into this, this thing about, you know, servants need, stewards need to be faithful. And he lets the Corinthians in on how he determines if he's faithful. Right? He, but he doesn't just give them a rubric. He says, if we do these things, then we're faithful. He says, I have to be faithful, but I don't care what you think. And I don't care what I think. I only care what God thinks. I mean, what's going on? Why is he doing that? Paul's purpose is to show them the problem with them. Right? That's why he says, at the end of this sort of you know, little discourse, he says, I have applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit. Saying, I'm showing you how we think about who we are as servants so that you can learn how you ought to do this too. The Corinthians are using their leaders to find their identity, to find their self-worth, and that's puffing themselves up. And if, so if Paul only told them, well, don't find your identity in your leaders, Paul knows they would immediately go and find something else. Why? Well, the picture Paul is using of the human heart and using this different word for pride is something inflated beyond what it can bear. It's stretched thin beyond its capacity. Right? So you can imagine a balloon that you just kept blowing and blowing and blowing, and now the lightest prick, the faintest agitation, and the whole thing just comes undone. Right? Something deflated is something that used to be inflated. And that's the natural condition of the human heart, to puff itself up with air, to seek value and worth and meaning in things that will leave you empty and that will sow the seeds for future disaster and pain and collapse. And if you don't believe it, 
Let me share this quote from Madonna. So I think we all know, you know, it's probably the most uh, successful entertainer in history, right? Or at least one of two. I don't know. This is what she says. She says, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Right? Madonna knows that every time she reaches a new high, the air goes out. And she stretched thinner and thinner and needing more and more to feel significant the next time around. And you might say, well, of course Madonna would feel that way. But you know what? She knows herself better than many of us know ourselves. Right? Her sense of identity and significance has no substance. It's fragile. And she and all of us, we need a foundation. We need an identity that can withstand disappointment and criticism and even success. Because Madonna's problem is not criticism and disappointment. Her problem is success, is not enough. What we need is not to be puffed up, but to be filled up. Okay? We need something of real substance, something that can last. Okay. But what can handle the weight of the human heart? Well, Paul says that what we're ultimately looking for is a verdict. Okay, so that's why when Paul uses his word judgment, it's literally a word that means to pronounce a verdict. And that's also why he goes on to, he says, I don't care what you or any human court thinks. I mean, he's, he's talking to a, a congregation, right? It, it, he's not addressing a court. So why is he bringing in this court idea? Why is he talking as if he's on trial? Well, because Paul is saying that you are. Every day of your life, we are on trial looking for a verdict. We are looking for the verdict that we are significant and that we matter, right? That is what Madonna is always looking for. She wants some proof that she is somebody. She wants that verdict, and so are we. So where do we get it? Well, there are two general strategies that um, people have historically taken to find identity and self-worth. And Paul hints at both of them here. So the first is the, the traditional identity. And in traditional cultures, you get your identity from your role in society, whatever that is, and how well you do it. You don't choose your role, right? So you don't choose your, your family, if that's it, or you don't choose your religion in, in some societies. You don't choose your role, whatever it is. It's just something you inherit. Um, but your identity and your significance depend completely on what other people think. Okay, so you might get your identity from family. It might be a culture where family is everything. And so your worth depends on bringing honor to the family. So that could mean having lots of kids or, or, or bringing honor to the family name and following in the family business, whatever it is. Or you might get your identity from serving society. And so your worth comes from your job or your connections or your reputation um, or from being moral in society's sense of, of morality. Or you get your identity from your religion. And in every other religion, salvation comes from your performance. You do this, you follow these rules, you do these practices, and then you achieve whatever it is, salvation, nirvana, you go to heaven, whatever it is. 
So your worth comes from obeying and observing your religious rituals, from being good enough, whatever, whatever that definition is. Now, our, our modern culture in a lot of ways has moved away from this, this traditional identity. Um, why is that? And now, on the one hand, there's immense value in a lot of these things, absolutely. But, you know, as a society, we recognize that, you know, society doesn't always value the right things, right? So we, we know that, and so if we just let society decide this is what's valuable, this is what matters, we know that, you know, it could be wrong. And so it could be mistaken, and we don't, we don't want to just let society say, hey, this is what it means to be good, so do it. Um, and furthermore, very rigid social expectations can really be oppressive. So family honor, places where family honor is the ultimate, sometimes you have honor killings. Somebody dishonored the family, so take them out. Um, right? Or it forces people into inhuman living arrangements, um, or social pressures can just utterly demolish you know, the uniqueness of different personalities. You might say, you know, I want to study literature, and the family can say, too bad. And so, you know, people are often burdened with guilt and shame if they don't measure up. And so the traditional identity, you know, as a society we've, we've recognized, it can be quite dangerous. So Paul here says, I don't care what you think of me. And right, nor should he. I mean, look at the Corinthians. They're immature. They're ridiculous. They're, there's not much to commend. Um, living for the praise of the Corinthians is like expecting your six-month-old to thank you when you change its diaper. Or maybe expecting your teenager to be grateful for your expansive wisdom or, or how you discipline them so regularly. Uh, I don't know. Um, Paul says, if you let others define what you, who you are, if you let them define your identity, if you let others define your value, you are like a balloon that's been puffed up and just at any moment you can burst. Because... If you live for the praise of your parents, well, for most of us, our parents aren't perfect, right? So what do you do if your parents are abusive or alcoholics or, or just simply unreasonable, right? If they're constantly pressuring you or, or they're trying to live through you, right? They have dreams for you, right, to become a doctor or a lawyer and, you know, they just don't understand you, right? If you live for your parents' praise, if that's your source of identity, you're in a fragile position, right? Or if you live for the praise of society, right, then your reputation is everything. And nothing is more fragile than your reputation. You can spend decades living a life of integrity, and then one misunderstood word, one, one falsely spoken thing, one misstep, one false accusation, can just undermine everything you've worked for. You know, but there's, a, there's an even deeper problem with the traditional identity, and it's that it's completely performance-based. If you achieve, then you receive the praise of society. So if you get that thing that society says, you do this, then you're valuable, then you must necessarily look at people who have not achieved and therefore who are less valuable you have to look down on them because the definition of value, they haven't done it. So you're almost surely, if you achieve, you become proud and arrogant. And the whole problem we're looking at is boasting, creating division. But more likely, 
you will live in fear that you aren't significant. Because if everything depends on achieving people's praise, we become chronic people pleasers. Right? We live for the nods and the approvals of, of people in our life who give us our verdict. And when our significance depends on the praise of others, there's a constant, continuous gnawing away of our soul. Have I done enough? All right, have, have I achieved yet? And whatever we've achieved is fragile and we know it. We're ready to burst at any moment. So there are tremendous problems with the traditional identity. So what's the modern solution? Well, the modern solution says, don't get your affirmation from others. Affirm yourself because you are doing what you want to do. Be who you want to be. It doesn't matter what other people say. What matters is what you think. All right, so, so the modern self instead puts tremendous emphasis on individual expression. Right? Be who you are. Traditional cultures, right, our understanding goes, it just burdens people with shame and guilt and condemnation when they didn't perform. And guilt and condemnation, they, they lead to low self-esteem and, and all sorts of social problems. So the modern solution is, well, we get rid of guilt. We get rid of shame. Uh, don't let anybody burden you with their expectations for you. That's the modern solution. Don't care what anybody other, else thinks. It only matters what you think of you. So today, we'll give this, this, is, this is the advice we'll give to people. The easiest thing to be in the world is you. The most difficult thing to be is what other people want to be. Don't let them put you in that position. That's the modern identity. So a modern reader might hear Paul say, I don't care what you think, and think, well, hey, Paul, he's one of us. Paul's a modern, 2,000 years ahead of us. But not so fast, because the very next thing Paul says is, you know, I don't care what I think about myself either. And furthermore, I don't judge myself, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. I mean, what is Paul doing? Paul's not doing what moderns do. He's not looking in and saying, hey, all that matters is what I think. And he says it wouldn't matter what he saw there. Now, before we look at what Paul does do, let's look a little bit at why. Now let's look at some of the problems with the modern self. So first, you know, it sounds good. The easiest thing to be is you. Uh, but it's actually, it's incoherent. Because you can't just look into your heart and figure out who you are. I mean, try it. Look into your heart. You want competing things. So, for example, do you want to be healthy or do you want ice cream? All right? Some of us maybe have given up on one of those, <laughs> right? Do you want a successful career or do you want rich, satisfying relationships? And the truth is almost surely you can't have both. At some point, something has to give. You can't have it all. But not only that, do you really know what you want? Forget that you look in and you see competing things. Do you really know what you want? When you look into yourself and you say, this, do I want to express that, or is that something I need to suppress? How do you know? Well, what we want, or what we think we want, it is dependent on society. We do learn from our society, just like breathing in the air, when we look inside what we should value and what we should express. So imagine for a second you live a thousand years ago, you're a Viking, so you live in a culture in which you know, the, the honor of the tribe is everything, and so aggression and strength, and, you know, if somebody crosses you, boom, you smush them. 
That's where you live, okay? So you look inside your heart, and what you see is a tendency toward anger and aggression. And you're a Viking, and so you know what you say? Good for me. I am going to express that. Person crosses me, boom. Right? But if you live today, probably you'll be told, and you'll probably think, I should go to counseling. <laughs> so, you know, the whole point of our identity struggle is that we don't know who we are deep inside. We look inside and we don't know, what do I do with everything in here? So if you think you don't depend on society to know who you are, you're wrong. Right? You can't just look in your heart and express yourself. Being you, whoever or whatever that is, it's not the easiest thing in the world. And, you know, in traditional culture, at least we know that society is defining us. Right? That's the rule of the game. But, you know, today we aren't even aware that our wants and how we think about who we are are defined by society. We don't even realize that social expectations, good or bad, are defining who we are. So David Foster Wallace was an author, and, and he gave this famous commencement address that he started off like this. He says, there are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish. And he's going the other way. He nods at him and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and, and eventually one of them looks at the other and goes, what is water? Right? Because the point is, we're not aware of what we're swimming in. Right? So you can't say, I don't care what society thinks. I only care what I think. Because what you think is influenced by what society thinks. We can't get out of it. We're swimming in water. But there are much deeper problems with the modern identity. Because it, it just doesn't work. So two problems. So first, our emphasis on individual expression is eroding community. Right, so all the evidence in the world suggests that if you want meaning and happiness, those are found in rich, deep relationships in which people sacrifice for one another. Okay? But we don't find our identity and significance in our relationships anymore. We don't find identity and meaning and significance in community the way we used to. And so our communities are weaker than ever. People don't submit to the needs of the greater good. All right, why should I? The point is for me to do what, I'm do what I want to do. So people don't, in general or as often, sacrifice for the sake of friendships or family members or deep relationships. I had a student who once said to me, with complete sincerity, like it's like she was handing me every future sermon. She says, I can't imagine why I should ever sacrifice for someone I'm in a relationship with. But that, that's the spirit of the... Why should I? Like, why? Like, if it's good for me, great. But as soon as it crosses, you know, my needs, I'm out. We need community and deep relationships, but we don't have them. So our quest for meaning and significance is actually leaving us less capable of achieving it. Um, but there's actually an even deeper problem. The modern solution has made the problem of finding identity and meaning much worse. We thought the, you know, traditional society, oh, you know, we're burdened with guilt and anxiety and shame. We need to get rid of all that. But 
We live in probably the most anxious society in history. Right? Rates of depression and mental illness and anxiety among high school and college students are not only at high, all-time highs, but they are growing explosively. <sighs> we haven't gotten rid of guilt and anxiety. We thought traditional expectations led to guilt, but we have far more guilt and anxiety than ever. So this is what one recent writer sort of talking about how people these days, this is what they said. They said, People today feel guilty and inadequate at every turn. They compare themselves relentlessly to others. They're turned inside out day after day by social media. Merely muddling through, doing your best, seeing friends when you can, trying to enjoy yourself as much as possible is, according to the reigning dictates of today's culture, tantamount to failure. You must live your best life and be the best version of yourself. Otherwise, you're nothing and no one. Why can that person say it? Why do we feel this way? Because now, if you feel insignificant, if you feel like your, your life lacks meaning, the only person you have to blame is yourself. You're the master of your fate. You're the captain of your soul. You be you. You decide who you are. You decide what gives you meaning. And so if it's not working for you, who do you have to blame but yourself? So this is the advice we give. This is meant to be inspirational. This is, this is just from like a, you know, men's health, like be the best version of yourself. Okay, this is what it says. There could be some genuine reason for you not being able to do what you dearly wished at some point in your life. But if that's the case with your entire life, you are surely doing something wrong. Here's another. You are unique. Right? Inspirational. You have different talents and abilities. You don't always have to follow in the footsteps of others. And more important, you should always remind yourself that you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. And you have a responsibility to develop the talents you've been given. Or this one. Decide what you want to be. Pay the price and be what you want to be. So if you aren't what you want to be, it's your fault. You didn't pay the price. This is modern inspiration. You be you, and if it's not working, it's your fault. When you define your identity and success, you alone are responsible. At least in the traditional sense, we could count on parents and, and colleagues and other people to say, hey, you have worth. And it mattered. But today we said, no, what you think doesn't matter. It's only me. And if it's not working, who, where can I turn? We think that we have a more solid identity because now identity is created. You know, we just, we just decide what our identity is. But created meaning is much more fragile than discovered or received meaning. Right? The proof is in the pudding. We're more anxious and guilt-ridden than ever. We think we're looking into ourselves to define who we are, but we're still just as dependent on ever on the guilt and the burden to perform. That's why Madonna, right? She's the quintessential modern, right? That's why she says she's never arrived. She's never satisfied because no good thing, no achievement, no praise from the crowds or even from inside of us can bear the weight of our souls. Right? None of these things can bear the weight of the human heart. So what is the solution? What will? Well, Paul tells us neither the traditional nor the modern self will work. 
Because every day of your life, you're on trial looking for a verdict. And in traditional society, we're looking for our verdict from others. And in traditional religions, we're always awaiting the verdict. Have we done enough? Are we moral enough? Are we religious enough? And in modern society, we're always looking for a verdict. We're looking around somewhere, anywhere, for the verdict that we matter. And today, we're even less likely to get it. We constantly feel the pressure of the trial. But not in Christianity. Because the message of the gospel is that in Jesus, you are no longer on trial. You are out of the courtroom. Why? Because only Christianity says that you receive the verdict because of Christ's work for you. Your identity and significance rest completely in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf. You're saved by grace. Why? So that nobody can boast. Your identity and your significance are a gift to receive. You didn't earn it and you can't earn it. And there's nothing you can add to it. But how? How does that work? Because Christ suffered an unjust trial. And he received the verdict, the condemnation to death as a sinful man. So that you would never receive that verdict of condemnation. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we deserve so that we can receive the praise, we can receive the verdict that is his. Though he was perfectly innocent on the cross, he received the verdict guilty so that we would receive the verdict loved. And if you belong to Jesus, then his victory over death is your victory. God looks at you and he sees his perfect son. The gospel is, you're more wicked than you ever could imagine. That's why Paul says, I look inside, doesn't mean I'm innocent. Paul knows he's more wicked than he could ever imagine, but at the same time, he is more loved than he could ever dare hope. You are infinitely loved, infinitely valuable. Only in the gospel do you get the verdict before the performance. In Christ, you receive the verdict that you are loved, cherished, forgiven, even exalted. You don't earn. You don't give your own verdict. You receive it from Christ. And the performance, the transformed life flows out of that. You're out of the courtroom. The trial is over. Now, do you want to hear God's verdict for you? Our passage today says, when the Lord comes... Each will receive his praise from God. Now, do, I mean, do you realize that? Like, when, when Jesus comes, he's going to give us praise? There's so many things the Bible says that you're like, that must be heresy. I mean, yeah, we are going to worship him forever, but do you know how much he loves you and delights in you? And he just, like, thinks about you, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this person, before they were in their mother's womb, I knew them, and I delight in them, and I'm going to love them for eternity. And when I come and make all things right, I'm going to praise them. I mean, what is the verdict you're living for? All of us, what's the praise we're hoping to hear from our parents? Or from our friends? What's the thing we just wish society would say to us? What's that thing we want to achieve? Whatever that praise is that you're living for, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say, God is going to give you all of that and more 
Because if you belong to Jesus, then you know, the Bible says you are his friend. You are his sibling. You are his beloved child. You are his spouse. What, what things could you be living for that God is not going to give you so much more praise than what you are hoping for now? The resurrection is God's verdict that Jesus is the Son of God who has conquered darkness. And you are united to Christ in his resurrection. What verdict do you think you're going to get at that last day when you are raised to an indestructible life? Well, hear that verdict now. Get out of the courtroom. Receive the praise now. Live out of what is already true about you in Jesus. And praise the one who gave his life so that he could give you the ultimate blessing. Now, if you aren't a Christian or if you aren't sure what you believe, God's verdict is ready as a free gift. Step out of the courtroom and into the arms of the Savior who wants to bless you, who's just ready to give you the verdict. I love you. You are my child. I'm pleased with you. Embrace the Savior who loved you enough to give up his life so that you could have eternal meaning and significance and joy.